Were it not for Hint CEO Kara Golden, I might not be talking to you right now. These are your friends and neighbors. Welcome to Friends and Neighbors, a Wagner Brothers podcast in which we talk with real people about how they're cultivating depth and simplicity despite an often shallow and complex world. I'm Benjamin Wagner, and today we're joined by my new friend, Kara Golden. I'm going to begin at the beginning, spin a tale, try to connect some dots. The year is 2013, and things at work are starting to smell a little weird. I'd helped transform MTV News from a revenue-neutral broadcaster to a 24-7 digital-first newsroom, but short form was getting shorter, and memes were replacing headlines. Worse, media was riding a boom-bust cycle like the Bonsai Pipeline. One day IPOing, I was eyeing an Audi TT, the next shedding 20-somethings in double-digit layoffs. Inside Viacom, executives were circling. They could smell the red meat. So I'm trying to fill a vacant VP head with someone who's gonna really blow the place up in a good way. And I'm on the phone in my office, the one I knew was too nice, too big, and too old school to last. I could pan across the United Nations, past the Chrysler Building, over Times Square, and well beyond the Empire State Building uninterrupted. I'm talking with an Australian named Darren Burden. And after just a few minutes on the phone, he says to me, you'd love this fellowship I'm doing at Columbia. The shadows cast by those executive raptor wings overhead triggered my fight, freeze, or flight response, and I engaged an exit strategy. In the first days of 2014, I did three things in rapid succession. I hired a resume coach to optimize my CV. I hired an executive coach to help me achieve my goals and I applied to the Punch Sulzberger Fellowship at Columbia University. In June, the head of that fellowship suggested me for a role at Facebook. I was onboarded in Menlo Park in October, and I met Craig Mullaney, my Rhodes Scholar, Army Ranger, memoir writing friend featured in season one of Friends and Neighbors on my second day at Facebook. Earlier this year, Craig told me I should meet his friend, Hint CEO, Kara Golden. He'd met her at TED, he said. She was super cool, he said. Have her on the second season of Friends and Neighbors, he suggested. Hmm. Interview a best-selling entrepreneur who disrupted the sugar water business by building a $150 million empire on something made from good things that's actually good for people. A woman who casually mentions her friend Cheryl, even if my brother and I aren't sure whether we're doing a second season. I said yes immediately. Kara Golden grew up in Tempe, Arizona, the youngest of five siblings. Her mother worked for a local department store. Her father was a VP for Armor & Company, which, it should be noted, manufactured a major staple of the Wagner Brothers' adolescent diet, healthy choice frozen dinner, and also unceremoniously forced Kara's father into early retirement. Kara graduated Arizona State University's prestigious Walter Cronkite School of Journalism in 1989 made it to New York City and hustled her way into an assistant gig at Time Magazine. Within the decade, Kara had helped build CNN's ad tech, then decamped to Silicon Valley where she grew AOL's e-commerce business to more than a billion dollars. And she got married and she had three kids. When her Diet Coke habit made taking off the baby weight, her words, impossible, Kara went rogue, cutting out everything but fruit, vegetables, and water, and an empire was born. Well, an idea for an empire was born because Kara's journey would include plenty of noob lessons, hard luck, tough breaks, 
and at least one male Coca-Cola executive who told her it will never work. He clearly didn't know with whom he was speaking. Last year, Kara published Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, a memoir in which she breezily and brilliantly shares her journey so far, framed in clear, simple, actionable takeaways like just get started, persevere, share your knowledge, and face your fears. For a guy who spends his free time making self-talk posters in Photoshop, this was my kind of book and my kind of conversation. As I read Undaunted and binged on our podcast, The Kara Golden Show, and read up on everything that Google would tell me about her, I couldn't quite make sense of what drove her to keep testing when early ideas were failing, for example, or to keep asking when local retailers were turning her down. At every opportunity to fold, Kara carried on, well, undaunted. The book had me so interested in the idea of nature nurture, really thinking of your origin story way back, right? And my experience with you in the book and thus far in the discussion reminded me of this poet, Robert Bly, mm -hmm. who talks about fire in the belly, mm -hmm. right? I'm wondering how that characterization resonates with you and how do you think about that fire? You know, I think being the last of five kids, mm -hmm. we almost had two families because my oldest brother and sister are 15 and 16 years older than me. And then, wow. we, and then we had this other family that was, you know, my brother's three years older, my sister's two years older, but I was the baby and I, I couldn't figure out from day one why I couldn't do what all the rest of them were doing. Mm. I never really called that like fire in the belly. I really called it as, and I, it wasn't even survival. It was just, I was mm. kind of doing what everybody else was doing in my family. Yeah, You know, also being an athlete, that was like the one rule in my parents' house was doing athletics. And the interesting thing for me about athletics was that I learned that I wasn't always going to be the best because there were some mm. things like right. playing softball, for example, I wasn't the best, but people wanted me on their team because I laughed at myself, right? I was terrible on so many yeah. levels, but I was a really good runner and I was a great gymnast. You know, I just wasn't a total idiot. I could do something, but that just wasn't my deal. And I was always competitive, but I mm -hmm. would always kind of look for those I don't know, I just always wanted to have fun though, too. And I think that drove me more than actually kind of this fire in the belly. I always wanted to be yeah. busy. I always wanted to go test things. I think like that for me has really been a driving force, but also looking for that next thing as well that is fun and interesting. Yes, we do have agency and we do drive our lives in a certain direction, but we are also responding to external stimulus like pandemics and so forth, right? So what can we do to equip ourselves to manage those, that surf, you know, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then as you look back, I think you see the push and the pull and the journey begins to make a little more, yeah. more sense in retrospect, right? Friends would say to me, so what are you doing? I mean, most of my tech friends didn't know, right? I, I guess call it a side hustle today, but yeah. the term side hustle yeah. wasn't out there 15 years no ago. Yeah. And I didn't know how to describe what I was doing. I mean, it was like great that I had four kids under the age of six at this point. So everybody thought I was plenty busy. Yeah. I mean, if I would have told them I was launching a company, which I'd never done before. Oh, and by the way, I have four kids under the age of six and my husband is no longer a lawyer in Silicon Valley, even though we could be. 
I mean, it was just weird on a lot of levels. Yeah. You write about your dad's under-acknowledgement, i.e. he invented something, which, mm -hmm. by the way, was a big staple of the Wagner household. My single mother was cranking those oh. healthy choices into our bodies like nothing because they were quick and convenient and good for us. To what degree is that narrative, which is almost like a great little rosebud in and of itself, right? To what degree was that a part of the narrative as you were doing the work versus in retrospect? And I gotta know, how how does that resolve? The dollars that they spend are based on how well the product is doing or how much they want to it to do well. And so they'll get different, in his case, freezer space or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think the key thing that I've learned, which is totally part of my journey, that I learned about living in my house and something I share with my kids a lot is that my dad, and it was a different generation, a different time. Yeah. He believed yeah. when you took a job, I mean, can you imagine how stressful this was? Like I say this to my kids all the time that you had, you had one shot. So you're graduating wow. from school Yeah. and today, Pivot, 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 pivot. Pivot. That's all you do all day long. I mean, maybe you had two. He had a few friends who had had two jobs. But for the most part, they stayed because they had pensions. Wow. They had, yeah. right? The ironic thing that I found super ironic was for years after, after he had retired, he was then hired back after a few years. Right. They had an annual luncheon and they would always call him up and have this, you know, award ceremony. And he still would go back, you know, because all his yeah. buddies and he knew all these people. He had been there for so long. And I just thought, wow, I mean, you can be so incredibly loyal and somebody isn't on the other end. And that's cool. I guess it all worked out in the end. But I just thought it was really ironic. And I think somewhere in there, it kind of ingrained in me something that I think a lot of people sort of have this feeling about, but maybe, maybe not, is that you know, there's not a lot of loyalty. Physically, intellectually, you know, whether it's the Coca-Cola executive, for example, or something more recent, how do you experience, I wanna go into like the dark corner of your mind with you because I wanna empathize and I want you to help me move through and towards the light. When you're in those dark nights of the soul, what is your process for getting yourself out? Like, how do you keep moving forward? It sort of stems back even to, you know, I was talking about athletics. Yeah. I remember not allowing myself to leave on a bad note from the gym. Mm. And I think it's the same thing. I still look for not only, you know, the good, but I mentally go back and look at times when times were challenging and try and figure out what to do next. And so yeah. we were about to get kicked out of Whole Foods if we didn't have distribution yeah. figured out or, you know, a longer shelf life on our product and so many things along the way. And I think that the big thing that I always share with entrepreneurs that I think is one way, not the only way, but one way to sort of deal with that is that you diversify. Mm -hmm. The more options you have, whether that's my Starbucks story or whatever, it lessens the blow. Right. You even look back on my dad's story and you know that he didn't have any other options. Right. And so it mattered, right? You gotta enjoy what you're doing every single day and you gotta go back and look at your lessons. Yeah. And then know to some extent that you gotta be kind of zen about yeah. some things you can't control. And you have yeah. to, you know, sort of move on and understand that oftentimes when bad things happen, you don't necessarily know why they were placed in your path, mm -hmm. but the dots will eventually connect. How do you help people move through that gray space of, well, we're going to own this thing by ourselves, but gosh, it's scary. I think that 
the main thing that I've learned is that it really boils down to, again, just having, call it a growth mindset or a learning mindset. Sure. Every day I figure out how to be a little uncomfortable. Mm. You know, and uncomfortable can mean I'm going to go make something in the kitchen yep. that I've never made before. And I don't know how it's going to turn out, right? I've now gotten to a point where, you know, not during the last year, but I go places on when I'm traveling and I don't right. have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, I had never managed during a pandemic sure. and I'm running my company and here a bunch of people are being told and in, in our team that varying by state that they should shelter in place. Yeah. You're getting a FedEx tomorrow with gloves and a mask and hand sanitizers and we're an essential product. And, and so you're still working. Yeah. And I had a couple of our longtime employees reach out and say, are you trying to kill us? And they were serious. I mean, they yeah. were really, really serious. They were just like, this is crazy. I was very honest that I didn't know the next steps and sort of how should we continue having the people go out into stores? We needed them to because we're an essential yeah. product and that's sort of what we had to do. And it's part of our commitment and that we have to do that. But what I did was actually take on a route in my local area and I went yeah. out with them. You modeled the behavior. And what I ended up bringing to the entire situation was confidence. Well, if she's going out and, right. but also what I was watching for was strategy. Mm -hmm. What I went back and told the team, hey, what I found is that I've talked to a couple of Target stores and we can actually go in before seven o'clock in the morning. The stores yeah. don't open it till seven, but there's people there early and we just go in when there's no people, they'll let us in. You know, you can bring elements of, different stuff and try and lead people in the direction and help making decisions by just getting out there. But I'm the first person to say that I had no idea whether or not it was all yeah. going to work. I also said, if this looks ugly, I'm going to pull it. We're all right. going to, you know, go back into sheltering in place, but it was working out pretty well. Right. I think there's a little bit of honesty to say, am I doing the right thing? It sounds like you have a great, and this is my experience with you now in person and my experience experiencing you in the book that you have a great comfort with not knowing, which is unusual. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. Like I sort of, when I'm given a problem, I just go figure it out. I'm constantly like seeking because I'm curious. And I think that that yeah. is really kind of the key thing. Is that unusual? Probably. Again, I think that what I've learned along the way that nothing is that challenging if you actually set your mind to it and go and figure it out. I think that the biggest thing that people kind of, what stands in their way, I mean, not only do I believe fear stands in many people's way and they don't wanna fail and all yeah. of that kind of stuff, but I think that oftentimes people just aren't passionate about it. I think that's where people mm. start to make mistakes is that if you just don't really care, you know, you just sort of like brush through it and go from, C to Z, right? It's because you don't really care. You're not, you're not interested in it. So even, you know, with my kids, I'm always saying to them, figure out what you're passionate about because you're all yeah. going to work. You all have to have a job and make, you know, a living and I want you to be happy, but also don't sit there and be limited by what your major is because yeah. it really doesn't matter. It's just instead find those classes that are really intriguing that 
you put yourself right. into a position where you're going to learn something and challenge yeah. yourself because if you walk into a situation and you know everything, those are the most bored and unhappiest people. Yeah. I mean, they really are. All of a sudden, they become the people that, you know, are teaching every single day. And not to say that teaching is a bad thing, but after a while, when you're just mentoring and managing and you're not learning, I think there's a lot of people who don't seek that stuff out. I've spent 20 years now thinking about Mr. Rogers' values yeah. and what it really boiled down to was a question about a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And a meaningful life is usually connected to purpose and purpose is often connected to passion, right? I mean, there are other attributes totally. for sure, but minimally, are you seeking? Are you moving out and through the world in a manner that says, I want to synthesize all these things and become richer for them? My experience is that's not the average bear. I think there's a lot of ways to learn and challenge yourself and every day you can figure it out. Yeah. You can go read books and challenge yourself in that way. A lot of people just don't do that. I think that sort of the worst group of people are the ones that have always, you know, tried to be the best. Mm. You know, if you've risen quickly inside of your organization or you've managing lots of people, a lot of those people are incredibly unhappy. Yeah. I had this conversation after my keynote that I gave yesterday talking about success. And the woman said, I'm sure you want your kids to be really successful. My answer was, uh, I don't know. I actually really want them to be happy. I want them to be happy. And I think that being able to pay your own bills, I think actually that's part of happiness. But I think being successful and having a title or making millions and millions of dollars, I don't know. Yeah. Owning your own house or any of these things that is like the dream. I don't think those are the happiest people. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I think you learn these things also just by being on your journey. Yeah. You talked about my dad, my mom, which, you know, they don't talk too much about. We, this part got cut from the book, but my mom decided when I went to kindergarten to change careers. She was an art history major. Mm -hmm. And then she decided she wanted to go into fashion. My dad said, okay, but I don't want to eat TV dinners. What can we do? <laughs> That's what he did. But my mom, that was not a popular thing to have five kids and go back to work because you wanted to, but also being an art history major and then wanting to switch at age 45 and go into fat. I mean, kind of interesting. They should have cut that. There were so <laughs> many stories that were cut. I bet. It's book two, I think. I'm gonna- I'm, There you go. Yeah, it'll be back. I've spent so much of my career and personal life in a sort of constant analysis, rolling ideas, relationships, and strategies over and over in my head, looking for deeper meaning, doubting myself, surprising myself, swinging wildly from humility to hubris, at least my wife would call it hubris. And by any objective measure, it's been a pretty good run and I'm still in the race. But periods of my career have been absolute agony, sleepless nights, flop sweat, second guesses, self-doubt. By contrast, I found Kara to be clear, confident, and totally matter-of-fact. True, she sits atop a multi-million dollar enterprise. She has had at least two wildly successful careers, and she likely doesn't want for much. But I would bet that Kara possessed the same inner cool and outer confidence today that she did on day one of her first job at the local yarn shop. It's who she is. One of my favorite parts of my year-long Sulzberger Fellowship was learning temperament theory from one of the architects of the program, Karen Gordon. It's kind of a TLDR version of Myers-Briggs that identifies core behaviors of four temperament types, stabilizer, theorist, catalyst, and improviser. 
So the stabilizer is the worker bee, task-oriented, responsible, hierarchy. The theorist values knowledge, thinks things through, seeks perspectives. The catalyst brings people together, gives voice, builds consensus. The improviser trusts her impulse. She's hands-on, action-oriented, and pretty rare as it ends up. Often, a CEO. As I would guess, hint CEO, Kara Golden. Since Kara and my first conversation, we've exchanged a few emails and I've even taped a segment for her podcast. And every time we connect, I feel a little like someone is uh, turning on a light switch, like I'm energized, I'm on my toes, because Kara moves quickly, she speaks definitively, she trusts her impulses. I'm a catalyst, I always will be. But Kara rubbed off on me, and more than once in the last few weeks, I found myself pushing just a bit more easily through that voice that drones, what if they say no, what if you get hurt, what if you fail? More than once in the last few weeks, I've trusted my impulses and I've taken action. Example, I left Facebook to build my own company. An example, I tweeted a perfect stranger, death, sex, and money host, Anna Sale, and asked her to be on our podcast. And Anna joins us next week for season two of Friends and Neighbors. It's my favorite Fredism. There really is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. My new friend, Kara Golden, certainly left a lot with me. Friends and Neighbors is a Wagner Brothers production. Download our podcast on Apple, stream it on Spotify, watch it on Facebook or YouTube, and subscribe to our newsletter at friendsandneighborshow.com. And if you're moved or inspired by what we're doing here, please, for heaven's sakes, rate, comment, and share Friends and Neighbors with your friends and neighbors. I'm Benjamin Wagner, and until next week, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends. <laughs>